So, frankly, I heard like basically like most of the podcast you did. Okay. Really love it. So, when I so finally get the podcast? chance, like invite you, and when you say yes, I was like, "Whoa, crazy! That's crazy." No worries. What's your background? I'm a performance coach in okay. Taiwan. And what do you what what kind of athletes do you work with? Uh, basketball, badminton, soccer, rugby, uh, table tennis. Okay, good. So I've had experience with some of those, so that's good. And my daughter yeah. plays is she's really big into badminton, so maybe I'll maybe I'll pick your brain as to what I should be doing for for her badminton career. <laughs> <laughs> And to be honest, one of my friends, he's the he's the Olympic like Olympic gold medalist trainer. Okay. Last I think it's last year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Very cool. So I hope I can help with that. <laughs> Perfect. That would be great. So although I'm like I'm like uh Heard most of the podcast you did, mm -hmm. but still, like, can you introduce yourself for the audience in Taiwan? Sure. So my name is Professor Keith Barr. I am a molecular exercise physiologist. So what that means is that I look for, um, I try and figure out which molecules we need to turn on or turn off in order for us to improve our muscle tendon ligament cartilage function. Great. So, uh, then, like, why uh, most of the time I heard you discuss, like, uh, about, like, isometric training. Okay. So, why do, so why do we use isometrics? So, so, one of the things that we know, and when we use isometrics, what we're doing is we're using isometrics when we've got a little bit of damage within a tendon or a ligament or some sort of tissue, it could be muscle tendon or ligament, um, really. And the reason that we use isometrics is because, um, because what happens when you damage a tissue that is a connective tissue, so it's, it's got lots of collagen molecules in it. And those collagen molecules are all supposed to be aligned all along the line of force. So in a tendon, they're all going to be directionally oriented between the muscle on one and the bone on the other. In a ligament, depending on how much rotation there is, there's going to be some collagen that's rotationally aligned as well. And so what happens is that when we train and we do a lot of training, as we, you know, everybody knows this, you wake up in the morning, you, you do your first stretch, you get out of bed and you, you barely can hobble around a little bit because your calves are tight. And But over time, it kind of you get an increase in the range of motion. And that increase in range of motion is because the stiffness in your tissues actually is high, really high in the morning. That's why if you have a tendinopathy, you'll really feel it in the morning because that's when you've a lot of times been sleeping in a position. And most of the time when we sleep, our, our tissues are in a shortened position. So like the key tendons that we stand on or we move, like our Achilles tendon or patellar tendon, they tend to be in a shortened position. And so then we go to move and now they're a little bit stiff because they've been in that shortened position for a while while we slept. 
And so what happens is we start to load them, they start to become less stiff over time. And that's just, as we do that, what we're doing is we're decreasing some of the little attachments that's probably been made overnight. Okay, so we get that and that's great. But then what happens is we continue to do that and it continues to get a little bit less and less stiff over time. So the more we load, so if you go out for an hour run or you're playing badminton, you're playing table tennis and you're gonna do eight hours of training, well, what's going to happen is over time, your tendons and your ligaments are going to get less and less stiff just to a point where what, what is then going to happen is we're going to do a really fast movement. When we do that really fast movement, we're going to do what we call a jerk. And so jerk is a physical property. So where I am right now, that's my location. The rate of change of my location is my velocity. The rate of change of my velocity is my acceleration. And the rate of change of my acceleration is my jerk. And so what you're going to see is when I go and I do, say I'm playing table tennis and I'm doing lots of little jumps. And then what's going to happen is I'm going to go in for a smash. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to jump down and then I'm going to jump up really fast. And so now I'm jumping down, I'm going to hit the ground, but my muscles and everything are trying to accelerate me upwards. And that's accelerating in two dimensions. Most people think of it easiest as tennis elbow. So I'm swinging a tennis racket. The little tennis ball hits. The tennis ball is accelerating one direction. I'm accelerating the racket in a different direction. And that's when we get jerk. We get tennis elbow because jerk is a physical property that really puts our, our collagen-based tissues at a position where they're at the most uh, chance for injury. So now we've been loading for a long period of time. Now we're going to do this high jerk movement, and we're going to get a little it can happen that we get a little bit of a tear. And that little bit of a tear is then going to, because of the way that the tendon works, we're not going to be able to fix that very easily. And over time, the more you do this, so if you're a basketball player and you're doing lots of dynamic jumping all day long and you're playing long periods of time, and then you're gonna get, you know, most basketball players have jumper's knees, so they have patellar tendinopathy. A lot of what's happened is you get a little bit of tissue fatigue, you then do a really high jerk movement, and that's when we get these small tears. Those tears, just because of how the tissue is, they won't fix themselves. And the reason they won't fix themselves is when we tear a little bit of our tendon or we tear a little bit of our ligament, the way that we need to fix it is we need to get load through that. But it's hard to get load through a damaged part of our tendon because that damaged part is less stiff than the rest of the tendon. And so if you've got a stiff structure right beside a not stiff structure, the load is gonna go through the stiff structure. And we're gonna do what's called stress shield, that injured area. And there's a wonderful um, Japanese professor who, Hayashi, who had done these beautiful experiments in rabbits where he took the patella and he took the tibia and he just put a wire in. And he kept the patellar tendon completely healthy but he unloaded it. So he stress shielded it by putting a wire, a metal wire in. And so now when the rabbit went to move, instead of the load going through the patellar tendon, it went through the wire. And then over about a four to six week period, what he found is that the tendon, the collagen molecules were smaller. There were a lot more cells in it and the collagen itself wasn't directionally oriented. Those are exactly the same things we find in a scar. And so what we get when we get these small injuries in tendons, we get stress shielding that prevents load from going through our tissue. And now we can't fix it. 
And so that's where we use isometrics because one of the properties of a tendon or a ligament or even a bone or cartilage is that they're viscoelastic. That means that they have both um, stiffness that comes from the liquid within the tissue, as well as stiffness that comes from the, the material, the collagen. And so what happens if we hold an isometric is the tension within the tendon, within the strong collagen part of the tendon goes down. And what we do is we go down below the stiffness of the scar. And so now the scar has to take on some of the load. And that's where we can get directional load through the scar using long isometric holds. So we talk about isometrics. We talk about 30 second isometrics. You can, as a performance coach, you maybe use isometrics as these very short isometrics that are good for explosive or reactive strength or all, all of these types of things that are gonna stiffen the structures. We're using the long isometrics so that we get these really big decreases in, in stiffness within the tissue that allows us to get a decrease in stiffness of the healthy part of the tissue so that it's less stiff than the injured part so that we can get load through that injured part. And so that's why we use isometrics because that's the only way that we get load through those tissues. So get loads through those tissues, does that also like gonna reduce the like uh, the tendon pain the athlete's gonna go through? Yeah, so so there's a, a professor named Jill Cook and Ebony Rio. They're, they're both professors down in Australia. And they did a lot of work with isometrics before we started anything. And what they were noticing is that there was an analgesic. So it decreased the pain in the tendon. So if you had a tendinopathy, if you did a 30 second isometric or 45 second is what they were doing, what they would find is that your pain, your sensation of that tendon pain will go down for the next three to six hours. And so it's it has this ability to decrease pain. What we're doing with the isometric is we're trying to get that signal to the cells that are in there so that we can actually regenerate that injured part of the tendon. That's the difference is we're not looking to use this as a way to simply go in and, and you know, use this as a, as something to decrease the feeling of pain. We actually want to try and fix that tissue. And the way that we're going to try and fix that tissue, is we're going to get load on those cells, that load on those cells, the cells then know, oh, all right, this is the direction that we need to synthesize collagen. They're going to start synthesizing a, a collagen matrix that's more aligned with the line of force, like the rest of the tendon. And over time, if we continue to do this, what we found is that we can actually heal those damaged tendons. Cool. So what like what exactly does tendon do for like ath uh, athletic performance? Okay. So so that's a really important question. So the first thing is that um, what it's doing is it's supposed to so tendons act they do really two things. One is they they transmit force from the muscle to the bone. So what what we're doing when we're doing any type of athletic movement is we're we're pulling with our muscle on two bones. And what that's going to do is it's going to allow us to develop force. The best measure of performance, the best one of the best performance measures is the rate of force development. How quickly you can develop force. Because if you're good at developing a force quickly, you're going to have a greater power and power to weight ratio is going to be one of the biggest determinants of your performance. 
So what the tenon does is it's going to the one of the first thing it does is it transmits the force. And so if you have a tendon and that tendon is 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 really stretchy, it's not going to transmit the force as effectively as if you have a stiffer tendon. So for performance, we want our tendons to be stiffer because it's just like if you have a big weight and you pull on a stretchy thing, uh, a stretchy rope or a stretchy elastic that's on that weight, all that's going to happen is you're going to stretch that, you're going to stretch that stretchy uh, attachment. But if instead you have a rope, now it's going to stretch a little bit, but then we're going to move that weight. So we're going to move the weight with a less with the less stretchy one. But if I have a steel rod attached to that, to that weight, as soon as I pull the steel rod, it's going to move. And that means that as soon as I produce force, I can transmit that force to the bone is what we're looking to do so that we can move quickly. So our tendon stiffness is a good measure of performance. It's a good measure of how able you're going to be to, to, to ink, well, to have a high rate of force development. The issue is that the second function of a tendon is to protect muscle from injury. And as we increase the stiffness of the tendon, what happens is the tendon becomes, in some type cases, the tendon becomes stiffer than the muscle is strong. And so we go and take a step and instead of the tendon stretching to allow us to have the tendon work as a shock absorber to protect the muscle, now the muscle is not as strong as the tendon is stiff. Now the muscle has to stretch and that's when we get muscle pulls. So a lot of times what you'll see in your athletes is they're they're going through their season, their performance is going up, they're really starting to, they're faster, they're, they've got that extra explosiveness, now their top end speed looks to be really, really good, and that's when they start pulling hamstrings. That's when they start having these issues because what we've done is we've gotten too stiff on the tendon, performance measures have gone up, but that tendon is now stiffer then that muscle is strong now what's going to happen is the muscle is going to pull because the muscle isn't strong enough to deal with that stiffness in the tendon all right and so the two functions of a tendon are kind of um two opposite sides of the performance coin we want to have stiff tendons to increase our performance but if we go too stiff what's going to happen is we're going to be at a higher risk for injury and that's where that's where a lot of the expertise of, of individualizing training programs comes in because the same training program that makes one individual a world champion is going to make another individual injured because some of what goes into making that world champion is that they have different genetics that allow them to do a higher amount of performance loading. And that means that they've got greater you know, greater resilience within the tissues. And that means that they're able to handle a greater training load before they get those muscle pulls that people who are maybe have the same skill set, but always get those kind of niggling injuries all the time that decrease their performance. That's a lot of now that individualization of the programs. If I have somebody who I can do lots of plyometric work and they never get injured, that's great. Performance I can do lots of high speed movements. If I've got people on the other hand, who, as soon as we start doing lots of plyometrics, they start having knee pain and, and calf pain, and they have all of these other things. Now what I have to do is I have to integrate more protective movements for those people who have a greater injury history. So since there's like, uh, 
there's like two function for the tendon pain and there's like for iso there's probably there's like short iso and long iso mm -hmm. how would you like program that for like these two function yeah so so there is a there are a lot of people who like to use isos um because there's a little bit less likelihood of getting muscle pulls so they'll use short isos as a way to increase the stiffness of the, of the tissue as a way to do a performance move so where somebody um so if you've got a history of using lots of plyometric moves but again you've got somebody who's maybe a little bit more prone to injury you can use a really short fast iso as a way to get that jerk in there but not as much jerk as you would get from say box jump or something else so those plyometric moves that are much more dynamic that have a greater load on them that's maybe going to be a second thing that i'm going to step towards but i can do some some early training especially on people who maybe have a greater injury history where i'm going to do some movements or some um, contractions where i'm going to start in a long joint angle and i'm going to do a push it's only going to last for maybe one second or a half a second. That short ISO don't have to do movement. Well, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to increase that kind of the stiffness of those structures. So that's how I would use a stiff uh, or a short ISO. This the long ISOs again. Those are for those are going to be for the health of the tissue. So if I again have a long history of say patellar tendinopathy because you know table tennis, you got basketball, you got badminton, that lead leg in badminton. We know from Michael Kerr's work, it actually has a bigger ten patellar tendon than the trail leg because you're always stepping in that direction. You're always stepping with that one leg and there's a great greater likelihood of getting that patellar tendinopathy. In basketball, we have it both legs. In high jump, we're gonna have the plant leg is gonna have a bigger tendon. And all of these things are telling you that these tissues are highly dynamic because I can look at my dominant leg and see a bigger patellar tendon than my non-dominant. You see it all the time in tennis players. They're going to have more muscle mass, more tendons, more tendon cross-sectional area on that, on their dominant arm, on their tennis arm than on their non-dominant arm. So these tissues are going to adapt to this. And what we're doing is we're trying to combine all of their gameplay, all of their practice, all of their, all of their having to compete. And we're trying to then say, okay, what am I going to do that's going to support that in the gym. And I can do that using isotonic movements where I'm going to go through a full range of motion. If I've got a healthy individual, what I can do is I can say, okay, if I use a lightweight, that movement is going to be fast. If I use a heavy weight, that movement is going to be slow. So if I want to do a more protective movement, I'm going to do a heavy movement because remember we, we talked about Muscle pulls happening when the tendon is stiffer than the muscle is strong. If I lift a heavy weight, what's going to happen is the little muscle end of the tendon gets a little bit less stiff. The muscle gets stronger. So now what I've got is I've got a strong muscle and a little bit stretchier tendon. But if that's all I do, if all I ever do is lift heavy weights, now instead of the muscle having the problem, when I start loading and I start doing my gameplay, I start practicing and playing, now what's going to happen is I'm going to be prone to tendon injuries because if all I do is really heavy work, if all I do is long isometrics, what I'm doing is I'm making the tendon and the muscle end of the tendon stretchier. The muscle is strong and now I've got a really strong muscle pulling on a tendon that's less stiff and the likelihood of me 
injury in the tendon is going to be higher. That's why we have to combine these two things. When I have somebody who's in the off season, they don't have the practice. They don't have all of those hours of practice and, and competition. I'm going to have to then give them those short, fast movements, those short isometrics, those plyometrics, those other things that they would normally get in their practice together with the strength training that I want to do so that when they go back in, they're going to be healthy and stronger. When I've got an athlete who's in season, now they've got lots of plyometric move. They've got lots of high jerk movements because they're practicing and playing many, many times a week. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to change my strength training to be more protective, longer isometrics, heavier lifts in the gym so that I get more of the muscle strength, a little bit more of the tendon strength or tendon health movements or the long isometrics that are going to protect me from injury more. And that's how you have to start looking at these things back and forth, because we said it's two sides of this coin. If we go too much heavy work, we're going to make our performance go down and we're going to make our tendon a little bit more prone to injury. If we go too little, uh, if we go too much performance light work, now we're going to make our muscle less strong and we're going to make our muscle more prone to injury. So what we have to do is we have to combine these two together in a really effective way. And it's got to actually be different for every individual because every individual has got different history of injury and that different susceptibility to injury as well. Cool. So if it's, if we're focusing on like tendon health, how like is is like isometric training gonna be better than like let's say like eccentric because from what I know I know like eccentric also help with the the help the help to like align the pressure for the tissue right yeah so so the idea behind the eccentrics is was always it wasn't eccentric training. It was slow eccentric training, right? So it was, you do these really slow, heavy eccentrics. And what we've realized is that it's that slow component that's important. So if you do the same eccentrics, but you do them quickly, you're just going to injure yourself more. So what we realized is it was the slow component, heavy and slow. So that's why those eccentrics were helpful. You can do, Michael Kerr has shown that you can do heavy concentric strength training and still have a benefit on the tendon. The, the, the thing that both of them have together is the slow component, where as you go more slowly, you get more stress relaxation, you get more uh, decrease in the stiffness of the healthy part, more of a likelihood that you're going to get load through the injured part. That's why we went to the long isometric holds because that's the slowest of the contractions. And so all you all we did was say, oh, look, eccentrics work pretty well. Oh, look, heavy, heavy, slow eccentrics work well. Oh, look, heavy, slow concentric training works kind of well. What would happen if we just took the slow component and the and the or and the heavy component and we took the movement out and we did it at a long joint angle so that the tendon is already a bit stretched already? And what we found is that that was a really effective way to get that regenerative stimulus into the cells within the scar. And it was for us so far in our hands, it seems like that's more effective 
than either doing the slow eccentrics or doing the slow concentrics, just because even when you were doing slow eccentrics, you're never doing a 30 second slow eccentric. You're doing like a five second or a three second. And yes, it's got some stress relaxation, but it's not nearly as much as you get over that 30 second period. Why, why, why does that have to be like 30 seconds or longer than 30 seconds? What happens through those in that time? Yeah, so so what we do, we can do this. I'm going, after we talk here, I'm going to test some tendons, uh, some ligaments in the laboratory. And, and so what we'll do is we'll do a mechanical test on them. And what you know is anytime you mechanically test a tendon, if I pull on it and hold it at that length, that's what we do with an isometric. We pull on our tendon and we hold it there. What happens is the, the stiffness that I measure, that means how much force it takes me to pull it there is really high initially. And then over time, what happens is it decreases and it goes through what's called an exponential decrease. So it decreases in a way that it, it goes down and then it kind of stops going down anymore. And so that's how we pick 30 seconds, because if we pull on a tendon, it goes, the stiffness goes up, the measured stiffness. If we hold it at that length over time, it's going to go down and then it's going to start to flatten out. And it goes down about two thirds of the way in the first 30 seconds. If I hold it for another minute and a half, it's only going to go down another third. So I don't really get that much extra from going longer. We don't know for sure that that's the best yet. I've got a student right now who's who's running an experiment where she's looking to see whether if we produce a patellar tendinopathy and then we do increasing durations of the isometrics, is there a best duration? So is two minutes better than 30 seconds? We are going to do that uh, just early in the new year. But right now, what we know is 30 seconds is effective. Is it the best? I can't say that for sure because we haven't done that experiment. But so far, what we see is that 30 seconds is really good. And so now what we're doing is we're trying to figure out, okay, what other components of the isometric are important? If we start at a longer joint angle, is that better? If we do four contractions, is that enough? Or is are 10 contractions better? All of those questions, that prescription of repairing the tendon, we're still trying to figure out. But so far, we've just come to this kind of standard protocol that seems to be effective. And what that is, is four 30-second isometric holds with two, minute, two minutes of rest in between as a way to kind of treat the, the tendinopathy that we've been getting. So, um, and the nice thing is that if you go out and you say you're a basketball player and you go out and you practice for two hours, because what we've talked about is that you're doing jumps and all of these dynamic movements. There's not been any stress relaxation there. So the cells in the scar aren't really getting any signal from all of that gameplay that you've done. So what I can do is afterwards, I can come in and do an isometric. I can do my four isometric holds on that. That's going to get me a signal or a stimulus through that damaged part of the tendon. And that I can do right after I've trained. And so, so you can incorporate these types of moves into your normal practice and training program. And it's relatively straightforward to do. So uh, do we have to like load these like isometric and usually for like athlete 
uh, how heavy should we go on the isometric? Okay, that's a great question. So we don't know exactly what the what the resistance should be yet. What we know is that um, what we're looking at is we want to have we don't want to have we don't want to put so much force on the tendon that we're actually causing pain. So I want to be on a maybe a two out of ten, two to three out of ten on on pain. I don't want to. I want it to kind of be a generalized, maybe a soreness, but not a pain. If I've got an elite athlete, elite athletes are all you know they all feel pain differently. I tell them no pain, because you know an elite athlete, a two to three out of pain for an elite athlete is like a six or seven for me. So what I do is I tell them no pain because no pain for the elite athlete. Oh yeah, no pain. Yeah, but for me that's like a two or three. So so that you have to know your athlete well enough. So that's the first thing. And so what we'll do, a lot of the isometrics we'll use are like an overcoming isometric. And what that means is that I'm starting a position and I'm pushing as hard as I can from that position. And so what I do is I'm pushing as hard as I can. That's a voluntary thing. So, you know, I could put 400 pounds on there. It doesn't mean I could actually move 400 pounds. That's just making it super, super heavy. So that when I do my one-legged leg extension, I don't have any dynamic movement there. So what I'm trying to do is then give myself enough resistance. And then I'm going to dictate based on the pain that I feel how much load I have going through there. And so what I'll tend to do is I'll tend to push until a point where I'm like, okay, I feel a little bit there. So I'm going to hold it at that level. And I'm going to hold it at that level for 30 seconds and come down. If you've got a handheld dynamometer, you can just put that in between the weights and your, and your whatever limb you're working. You can look on your phone and see, okay, today I'm producing, you know, 40 newtons on this move. So next time what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and come in the next time I do this training, I'm going to go more than 40. So maybe I'm, my goal is going to be 42 or, and so you can get a progressive um, increase as you're going through the rehabilitation process. And that's going to help you to understand you are getting better. And that's going to really also help your brain as far as being able to externalize what you're doing. So one of the things that Ebony Rio has shown is that when we have tendon problems, we don't produce as much force as we would normally do because of something called central inhibition. My brain actually is putting a signal that's lower than normal through that tendon. And as I'm going to do that, that's because my brain is putting the brakes on. And so one of the things she's shown is if I externalize something, so if I'm pushing and I've got like either a metronome or I've got a number that I'm trying to maintain on my handheld dynamometer, I, I'm no longer thinking about the pain that's in my knee. I'm thinking about this number on my phone. I can push harder. I can overcome central inhibition that way. And so there's a lot of different things that we're trying to incorporate into some of these training programs. So uh how about if it's like not how about if the athlete isn't injured we're just probably gonna like try to let his tendon be gonna be stronger yeah so so what we're doing with an athlete who's not injured is what we try and do is we try and take her and we try and have her do both the heavy lifts 
and either have plyometric or high high jerk movements either from her practice or her gameplay and then we'll come back if we don't have the practice and gameplay we'll do some heavy or some light movements short fast movements short isometrics so what we're trying to do is we're trying to combine those things in a healthy individual i'm not really going to use isometrics unless they have a history of injury so I'm not going to use my long isometrics unless they have a history of injury. So what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say, okay, now what we're going to do instead is I'm going to lift the heavy weight because then I'm going to get that heavy. That means it's going to be slow and that heavy weight is going to make the muscle stronger. And so now I've got a stronger muscle and a slightly less stiff tendon. It's not going to be a huge decrease in tendon stiffness. Whereas if I do that long 30 second isometrics, I'm going to have a, a, a greater decrease in in the stiffness and so what i'm trying to do in a healthy athlete is i'm trying to mix those two things that we need we need the high the high velocity high jerk movements in order to maintain the stiffness of the tendons and we need the heavy load movements to make sure that the muscle is strong enough so that it's not going to be weaker than that tendon is stiff so that it's going to get pulled so what i'm doing is i'm doing that combination and so if they're off season, they don't have a lot of practice or competition, I'm going to do both of them in the gym. I'm going to make sure that they have a, some high force movements, some high jerk, some plyometrics, some other things. And I'm going to have those, those um, heavy loads so that we're developing both the stiffness of the tendon as well as the strength of the muscle simultaneously. So in that way, what we're then going to do is we're going to increase both of them in parallel, and that's when our performance is gonna go up. So in the uninjured athlete, we don't have to use long isometrics. We can use short, we can use any kind of plyometric moves, and we're gonna incorporate some heavy, heavy moves as well. And so all we're trying to do is we're trying to combine those two types of moves, the heavy and the, the light, so that we can not get to the point where if we're only doing heavy, muscle strong tendon is going to be prone to injury. If we're only doing light, the tendon stiff, the muscle is weak, we're going to be prone to muscle injury. So if we combine these two in the right combination, what we're going to do is we're going to get a stiffer tendon with a stronger muscle, and that's going to give us that better performance that we're looking for. So can you like give us some example, like some sort of movement that you recommended for like, let's say Achilles tendon pain or like patella tendon pain? Sure, so so patellar tendon pain is the easiest one. It's gonna be like either you can do it as a squat or you can do it as a leg extension. Um, and I know people who in like professional basketball here in the US, they've actually had to buy in and like uh, a leg extension machine because they hadn't been doing it for years because nobody does an isolated exercise anymore it's all functional moves so now what they're doing is they're bringing back something like a leg extension machine but you can do it without the leg extension machine just by having say like um i use um tie down straps so straps that are going to be really stiff they don't have any give in them and i'll put that around say uh, the leg of a chair and i'll just do a, a leg extension from a chair or a stool um, so, so that's a good one. You can do anything like a, uh, like a Spanish squat or any type of bodyweight squat where you're going down. We could, you could even do the old wall sit because a wall sit is a classic 
isometric contraction. And there, what you're doing is you're getting that load going through that patellar tendon. Um, same thing is going to be true for, for isos for the calf. What you're doing now is you have to incorporate two different moves for the calf because everybody everybody always does the, the straight leg calf work where they're doing and say a they're doing an ISO where they got either a leg press or they're doing something where they're just pushing out with a straight leg. But what people don't do enough is the bent leg one. The soleus component, soleus is going to give us about 75% of the load through the tendon. And a lot of the tendinopathy we get is because of that soleus. And so what people should be doing is there should be that bent knee um, with trying to get a toe press from a bent knee position. I do it with some of my athletes who don't have a big expensive gym. I have them put a big textbook on the ground. I have them sit on a on the bench and I have their significant other sit on their knee. And so they just have to then keep their toe up or it can be a little bit in a, in a dorsiflex position and they're just gonna hold their significant other on their knee for 30 seconds. That's an easy one to do. Um, it can be fun as well. Uh, and so, so that's a, that's what I would do for Achilles. So a straight leg toe press or a bent and a bent leg again, 30 seconds each two minutes of rest. You can rotate through them. Uh, the way they do it for, with the tie down straps is the tie down goes around your hips for the straight leg. It goes straight down over your, over your toe. You get into a bit of a, uh, uh of a, dorsiflex position and they're just pushing out against that resistance of that very tight band. And then for the for the bent knee one, all I do is I put the band um, over my knee and around my toe. And again, I'm just pushing down from that seated position. Both of those are really good for the Achilles. And then the leg extension and the and a squat would be the ones that we would do for the patellar tendon. Yeah, great. So besides like Patella tendon and Achilles tendon. Is there like any other like common injury you see on the tendon side of things? Absolutely. So rotator cuff is huge for all of your all of your your racket sports, um, as well as things like rugby. People going up into a position and they get knocked in that position. So, so all of the rotator cuff easily addressed using those long isometrics. So you just go through, you find out which of the four movements are giving you the problem. Those are the ones you're going to do your ISOs on. So that's a classic one as well. A lot of issues with either tennis elbow or golfer's elbow. Um, and those are easily done. The way that I do it is I'll do it with, uh, with a frying pan. I have a really heavy metal frying pan. I'll rotate it out. That'll be for my tennis elbow. I'll rotate it in. So I'll turn my palm up and that'll be for the golfer's elbow. So you can do simple things like that. Uh, I know there's a, a big golfing uh, guy who basically just takes a golf club and hooks the, the golf club head underneath the, underneath, let's say a door handle. And he just pushes up and tries to rotate his hand this way. And that's how he treats his golfer's elbow. So you can use the tools of your trade, very simple exercises. So those two are really, really common, golfers and tennis elbow, the rotator cuff, the, um, we get a, a fair bit of hip as well. Groin is a big one. Hamst proximal hamstring is a really big one as well. Because the proximal hamstring uh, is where we get our pulls. 
Um, but most people do Nordics and that only really works the distal hamstring. So you have to do a, a separate ISO for the, for the proximal hamstring. And that's a straight legged ISO with, uh, with a bent leg on the other side to try and take the glute out. Because the problem with doing the high hamstring is the glute compensates. So you have to, you have to have one knee bent and the other leg straight in order to get that, that high hamstring um, tendon isometric to work. So, so we, um, a lot of people use the Copenhagen to get the groin. That's a really good one for the groin. So all of those different areas, it depends on what your sport is. So for, for like, um, so for like soccer or football, there's a lot of external rotation. So there's a lot of groin problems and there's a lot of, uh, hip flexor problems there. We do, again, we do the, the Copenhagen for the groin. We do uh, a couch based where you put your foot on the couch, you kneel down and you do that kind of kicking it through. So all of those things, depending on the sport that you're doing, all of those tendons, that's where 70% of your time away from sport is coming is these muscle and tendon injuries. So, so yeah, all everything from the throwing athlete to the racket athlete down to, again, depending on where, what sport you're doing, which, which are the ones that you really need to work on the most. Appreciate that. Appreciate that. So, uh, beside the uh, the research you're gonna do with your student, is there any other uh, program you're working on right now? Yeah. So we've got a lot of things that are are pretty cool. So we've um, it's a some of it's really in depth science. Science. So we've got um, things. Everything from we've done what's called spatial transcriptomics on injured tendons. So what we do is we take, we take rats and we give them a patellar tendinopathy. And then over time we section those patellar tendons and we actually can give you the exact location of all these different genes that are turned on both in the scar, but also around the scar. And that's how we're gonna also look to see what the optimal loading is because when we optimally load, we should turn gene expression back to what it was kind of developmentally. We've got these really cool um, data from uh, tendon development, again, using um, transcriptomics to look and see which messenger RNAs are made very early before you walk, right around the time where you start to walk and then when you're mature. And this is in two different tendons. One tendon is getting longer. The other tendon is getting bigger in cross-section. And you see differences in the two different tendons based on how they are growing. And that's really going to be helpful to us when we're thinking of programs. Like, do we have to have different programs for a patella tendon or an Achilles tendon, depending on where we are age-wise? Because I'm sure that you've experienced with your young athletes that a lot of young athletes get what we call enthesotomies. They get Osgood schlatters. They get these heel pain or knee pain that are based on whether the tendon is growing longer or the tendon is growing wider. And so how we deal with those, that's going to be something that we'll have a really good idea with because of some of the genetic analysis that we're doing. So those things are really good. We got lots of stuff going on where we're trying to figure out if, um, if our body produces um, cool little compounds after we after we do heavy exercise that actually make our tendons and ligaments stiffer because we've seen that if I take your blood before you lift heavy weights and then about 15 minutes after you lift heavy weights and I use that blood on on these human engineered ligaments that we make 
that the ligaments we make from your blood after you've exercised are going to be stiffer and stronger than the ones you made before you exercised. And it's not because of hormones, because we checked all the different hormones. It's probably about something like an exosome, which is a small little thing that say your muscle or your other tissues produce. And that's going to circulate and it's going to get to our tendon cells and say, oh, here's a signal. We need to make more collagen. So that's one of the reasons that we actually tell people that if you have, say, a shoulder injury and you've got a shoulder tendon injury, and as you're doing your shoulder work, that's going to be slow isometric. You should still be lifting heavy with your legs and other tissues because your body is producing factors which are actually going to help your healing in those tendons, even if you can't load them to the same degree. So lots of different things we've got going on that we're we're really excited about. Cool. Looking forward to that. So that's kind of all the question I have for today. If there's like coaches or therapists are interested in what we're talking about today, where can they reach out to you? Yeah, so they can either reach out to me um, uh, on something like Twitter, where I'm, I'm known as uh, Muscle Science, so all one word. Um, so that's an easy way to, to, to shoot me a direct message. Uh, people can people can email me, you know, it's so, and we do through the muscle science Twitter handle. If when, when we publish new research, that's where we talk about what that, what that research is and what it means. And I also talk about other people's research when something interesting comes out. So that's an easy way to kind of stay up to date with some of the things that we're thinking. Cool. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, no problem.